Last week, we heard a parable of a a rich man with a, a dishonest manager. The manager gets in trouble with his boss and is about to get fired, and so in the hopes of making friends, he quickly forgets the debt owed by the clients of the rich man. That parable is is tricky and difficult to interpret. It leaves us with lots of questions on how to make sense of it. Today, Jesus tells us another parable that, that follows closely on the heels of last week's parable. It is also a story about a rich man. But at least on the surface, this parable is not quite so tricky to interpret, is it? Jesus tells us, There was a rich man who ignores the poor man at his gate, named Lazarus. The rich man dies and goes to Hades, where at the same time, Lazarus also dies and goes to be with Father Abraham. In search of mercy and relief in Hades, the rich man asks Abraham to send poor Lazarus to serve him by giving him a drop of cool water. Abraham explains to the rich man that this is impossible as a, as a great chasm separates them from each other. The rich man, recognizing this, becomes worried and asks Abraham to send poor Lazarus again to warn the rich man's five brothers of the fate that awaits them if they do not change their current course. Abraham again refuses saying that they have been warned by Moses and the prophets, and that not even the appearance of a dead man would change them. God turns the social order on its head. The chasm that existed between the rich and the poor in this life is preserved in the age to come. It's just that now, It is the poor who will no longer suffer. We should not see this parable as isolated from the rest of Luke's gospel. Its themes recur again and again in Luke. So, for example, Mary sings a song called the Magnificat in in response to having conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. In response to God coming to be with us in Jesus, Mary proclaims, God has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Later, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus returns to Nazareth and quotes Isaiah to explain his mission. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Later, in Luke's version of the Beatitudes, the the so-called Sermon on the Plain as opposed to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Not blessed are the poor in spirit, like Matthew has in his Beatitudes, just blessed are the poor, 
And Jesus does not stop there. He goes on to say, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. This morning's parable is merely an elaboration of this key theme in the Gospel of Luke. But of course, it's not just Luke, is it? The Gospel is merely elaborating a theme that is present throughout the witness of the prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures. For example, listen to today's scathing critique that Amos has for the elite of the ancient kingdoms of Judah and Israel. A similar critique could speak to us today. Throughout the Bible, we see God's concern for the poor and the vulnerable. And this parable is part of that greater biblical narrative. Here, we have good news proclaimed to the poor and a warning to the rich. And in this way, God is not a dispassionate force, indifferent to the the cries of the oppressed. Nor does God bless the injustice of our social order. Nor does God place everyone in their particular station in life. No, our God loves justice. And as this morning's psalm declares, God gives justice to those who are oppressed. And as such, there's a challenge here and a warning for us here. Because we live in a society with, with vast economic inequality. There is a great chasm affixed in our country. I mean, just, just three men, three, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett, those three men have more wealth than the bottom 50% of Americans. Three guys. It's amazing. But because I don't see those three guys here, <laughs> unless they're in the back someplace that I'm missing, I, it starts to get fuzzy back there. But because I don't see them here, we might think that this parable is a warning to somebody else and not to us. I might think that it's, a, that it's a warning to somebody else, but not to me. But by the world's standards and by history's standards, I am wealthy. My economic situation is more like the rich man's than it is like Lazarus's. That's probably true for many of us. And so we're all made nervous by this, I hope. I hope we're all made a little upset by this parable. I hope we hear it and it makes us a bit nervous. Because we're all invited to ask ourselves, are we implicated with the rich man? Do we in our own way and and occasionally share in his callousness? Does our way of living separate us from our neighbors who are in need? And therefore, does our way of living separate us from God? 
For the second week in a row, I think it's worth saying that for the Bible and for Jesus, wealth in and of itself is not really the problem. Indeed, God longs for us to be prosperous, and having economic means is a way of realizing God's blessings, and we see this throughout Scripture. And yet, and yet, Scripture is also deeply skeptical about the value that we would place in wealth. Paul tells us this morning that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The pursuit of wealth, he tells us, brings with it temptations and traps. The longing for wealth too often brings with it senseless and harmful desires that plunge folks into ruin and destruction. The pursuit of wealth too often and too easily brings with it the domination and dehumanization of others. We are told that money and wealth as ends in themselves lead to our alienation from God and from our fellow human beings, and indeed from creation and the environment, and thus ultimately from our own selves. And I think that's why it's important for us to realize that this morning's parable is a parable. It's not necessarily a picture of what the afterlife looks like. Indeed, we must place this passage in conversation with other parts of Scripture where our ultimate salvation is described as dependent on God, God's grace alone. But as a parable, I think that it does describe the day-in and day-out reality of those who love wealth over and above their fellow human beings. It describes their alienation. It describes their estrangement from God and others. It describes what we have to wrestle with. It is a warning to us about what it means to serve God, I mean to serve wealth rather, and not God. So what do we do? What do we do? We live in a world where economic disparity creates real hardship. And therefore God calls on us to address that reality. The point of this parable is not to make you feel guilty for what you have and others do not. At the end of the day, that will do nothing, your guilt by itself. Rather, we are invited to question how we can subvert our complicity to an economic order that leaves so many without. And so what do we do? I think if, if we couple today's parable with last week's where Jesus encourages us to use our, if we do that, we couple this week's parable with last week's parable, where Jesus encourages us to use our wealth to make friends, then I think we have an idea about what we are to do. We can start to ask ourselves questions, like how can we come to use the wealth that we have to partner with others who are lacking? How can we use 
the wealth that we have to stand in solidarity with those who are marginalized and oppressed. And then ultimately, what can we do? We can ask ourselves, what are we called to give away? What are we called to give away? Ultimately, I think that this morning's parable and readings invite us onto a path of simplification. They say to us, simplify your life so that you have something to share with others. Let go of more and hold on to less. As Paul says to Timothy in this morning's epistle, do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We're invited to pursue that which really matters so that we might truly live. Again, as Paul says, we gain nothing. We gain nothing by holding on to uncertain riches. But by being generous, by being generous with others, we take hold of the life that really is life. Amen.